0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Rentall Street Components with over 800 street fitments for handlebars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains and sprockets. Check out rentall.com. On today's pod, we're going to look at uh, the Portimao Grand Prix in a preview for the second race in Portimao this year. Steve English, David Emmett, Adam Wheeler, Neil Morrison on the show. And David, Portimao is always an exciting track for everyone to get to.
2: Uh, it certainly is. I mean, it's a, it, it, well, I think I've said this before, it was the first race that I ever, uh, that I ever went to. It's a lovely place. Um, it's very relaxed. Uh, it's, uh, and it's just very, very scenic as well. I love uh, up there in the hills.
1: Adam, there's always surprises that turn up in Portimao, but probably the biggest surprise of Portimao week was that David actually went to a motorcycle dealership and took out a bike for a test ride.
3: Well, before we get to that, Steve, I have to say two things. One, I've got absolutely no idea what could possibly happen in Portimao. Uh, I don't think we've been there enough to have any kind of, you know, uh, fixation on on some sort of form bug. Um, and the second thing is, uh, can we please stop calling it the roller coaster? Because it's obviously not a roller coaster, um, just like Assen is not the frigging cathedral. So if this is going to start to stick, then it could become a bit of a grind every year. Um, but yeah, Dave, I mean, let us. I can't believe you actually went into it. Did you actually purchase a motorcycle or did you just go and look at the the shiny stuff?
2: No, no, no. I signed a contract to purchase a brand new motorcycle.
3: And would you like to say the name of, or the brand of uh, that motorcycle on the podcast? Not unless
2: that brand wants to give me a whole <laughs> stackle of money and uh, and uh, money towards it. Although uh, to some, be fair, some accessories. I, uh, well, yeah, I you know. I did get some bits and bobs. Um, I did get a little bit off because uh, the 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 brand in question is very keen to uh, maintain its market position um, at the end of the year. So I'm getting a bit of a discount because I, uh, I'm willing to take the bike or take delivery of the bike in 2021 in december and not wait until uh, 2022 because um because uh, i'm not worried about the resale value
1: so a dealer discount dave means that you won't say who it actually is that you've bought
2: <laughs> no ex- no exactly i i think i should save it for our patreon supporters
1: oh that would be a good extra show dave <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that'll get them queuing up for three dollars a month at <laughs> patreon.com forward <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> What
4: it should we said. be an Instagram reveal, Dave. This is how you become a social media star. You you pick a, a kind of monotonous, uh, mundane event in your life and then you sort of build it up and do big countdowns and that's uh, the secret of social media success.
2: Do I have to like set off fireworks and burn something down to the ground accidentally in the pro- uh, progress?
3: No, you just need to do a very silly dance, preferably half naked behind <laughs> uh, buying the motorcycle and then that's yeah, in- it, guaranteed hits.
2: Yeah, um, me half kids doing a dance in uh, January is go- or in December is going to be fantastic.
1: Is it bad that I'm wondering which half, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Neil, obviously Adam said that we can't take anything for granted in uh, Portimao. I think we can take for granted you're going to have a nice fish dinner one of the days? I think
4: so, Steve, yeah. And uh, just listening to the, the start of the pod there, sometimes I go into a race weekend Sometimes I even come out of a race weekend thinking, what am I going to write for Adam on Tuesday? Uh, What is the title of this week's blog going to be? But I'm pretty sure I just came up with uh, the working title for this round. uh, This round's effort is probably going to be something along the lines of uh, why the roller coaster Portimao is such a joy to ride.
2: Uh, Wait, how about the roller coaster cathedral? I mean, you know, two for there.
1: (laughs) Exactly. My life, it, I mean.
4: just, it writes itself. <laughs> so I basically think you should just have lots
1: of Ronan Keaton lyrics in it <laughs> as well, Neil.
3: <laughs> just throw
1: Assen and give Assen some hills and there you go. Same thing. Give Holland some hills and you're at Dave's house, obviously living beside the Dutch Mountain. Exactly. Anyway, Dave, it's fantastic that you got a new
3: motorcycle. I'm very envious. Uh, maybe our friends at Renthal can give you some new handlebars as well to test and, uh, you know, have a fiddle around and get it all, you know, set up and modified to your tastes.
2: Uh, well, I I am actually changing the colour of it to make it red because nobody sells nobody apart from Ducati um, sells red motorcycles, which tells you it's not a uh, it's not a Ducati. Uh, but um, I shall have to uh, have a browse of the Renthal uh, catalogue to see if they have some lovely red handlebars. Wouldn't it have been easier it just is.
3: to buy a Ducati?
2: Uh, yeah, but I would have broken it.
1: <laughs> ah. That would have broken your bank as well, I'd say, Dave. To be honest, so obviously enough, uh, we do have the the Mao Grand Prix coming up now. The second time that we're in Portimao this season, and Adam, you you said there we don't have a big form guide in Portimao, but we do have a couple of snippets that we can look at. Obviously, last year the final round of the year was in Portimao. We've got very similar conditions expected this weekend, and then we also had a race earlier this season in Portimao.
3: Yeah, the Grand Prix this year, Steve, I think is about two, just over two weeks earlier than it was last year. Uh, For me, it's just a big question of who's really going to bounce back because we've seen the likes of Miguel Oliveira dominate that Grand Prix last year, um, and then he didn't have a very happy home Grand Prix earlier in two thousand and twenty-one. You know, so what's the Portuguese going to do? Is he going to go from winning to crashing to winning again? And then the likes of you know Franco Morbidelli, who's been extremely competitive in the two Grand Prix so far. I mean, he finished third last year, fourth earlier on this year, and that fourth position actually was his last result of note before you know he got injured, swapped teams. And now, you know, he's obviously riding uh, writing an updated version of the M1. Um, so I think there'll be question marks over him. He clearly likes the circuit, goes well there, has the data. Uh, you know, maybe it's about time we saw some more form from the Italian.
1: Neil, obviously you were mentioning your working title being about how to ride and tame the roller coaster, but nobody knew the track better than Oliveira going there last year. That was clearly to a big advantage for him because I know when guys have gone there for world superbikes, they've all said that the two days of testing we do there during the course of the winter, it's really at the end of that second day that they actually feel that they understand the track. And that's with a lot more mileage than you do during the course of a Grand Prix weekend.
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember speaking to uh, Simon Crafo colleague um, who told me the first track that he
1: rode there he had absolutely
4: no idea which way the track was going and it was only after he had a, a full night of sleep um, on it that uh, he came back the next day and thought okay I think I basically know where I'm turning into now just all those blind crests that uh, that you have uh, taken at speed um, you know it can be quite daunting and that definitely I think uh, held Miguel in good stead Uh, towards the end of last year and I think he's going to be an interesting one this weekend in running respects because he's been absolutely nowhere in the second half of the season with the exception of Misano last week Um, he was running in a really strong well third it was basically up until the the moment Beko Bagnari crashed out then he crashed out I think just uh, one turn earlier Um, so you know he could have been on for a real surprise podium in Misano Um, And that was more like the Miguel that we know from the end of the first half of the year. Um, Brad Binder had a bit of a nightmare qualifying at Portimao earlier this year, but fought through for a really strong uh, fifth place. So KTM clearly has some form here. And um, yeah, maybe it's a good chance for Oliveira to try and uh, recapture some of that magic that we saw back in May and June.
1: Yeah, obviously it was a pull and a win for Quateraro as well, David. So he's going to go there feeling pretty good about himself. Obviously Yamaha went well there last year, like Adam was saying with uh, Franco as well. So he'll at least feel that now with the championship done and dusted, two two rounds left, two chances left to just uh, pad out his lead.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting for Quateraro is how he sort of um, takes this championship and runs with it. It can have, I mean, basically, there's a whole load of sort of stress and um, uh, and um sort of concern off of his shoulders. He's won the championship. It's in the bag. He doesn't have to worry anymore. Um That can work a couple of ways. He can sort of slightly lose focus. He doesn't have to have that focus uh, of, of having to win all the time. Um, but he can also um, it can also sort of you know liberate him. He can he can ride freely without having to worry about it. So it's going to be really interesting. It, it, his results were odd because the first time there he was fourteenth, and then the second time he uh, a pole and a win. So um, it's really difficult to say exactly as Adam says you can't really say what's going to happen.
4: Yeah, pole and a win, but then last year I think it was uh, he was struck down by a really bad arm pump I think in the mm. in the race at the end of last year, and it sort of followed in that. Um, that sort of miserable run that he had at the end of last season where he just could not uh, could not catch a break in any sort of form so um, yeah um, I think uh, you have to count Fabio in just because of his his speed at the earlier the earlier part of this year but I don't know I seem like I feel like every time we do one of these preview shows there's four or five guys that you kind of throw in the mix and uh, I kind of feel it's the same this weekend
1: just before we we move on to our topics for the weekend, I just wanted to ask you about looking back to that Portimao race. We obviously saw a lot of high-profile crashes over the course of that weekend. And even during the race, Zarco and Rins both crashed out of... I think they were both in second spot whenever they crashed. We, a few other riders fell too. And Neil, what was the big reason for that back then?
4: Um, from what I remember, Steve, it was just... Uh I think Zarco maybe missed a gear uh, in that particular instance. and um, We saw Jack Miller crash on it as well, but I think he admitted that that was just a mistake at the front of the race. And uh, Rins as well, I can't quite remember exactly his reason for crashing, but he was basically, I think, riding absolutely on the limit mm-hmm. to try and stay with Cordaro. It was a great performance up until then but that really uh was the the beginning of the end for Alex Rins I mean his, his season never really recovered from that point um you know in that race you thought if he was maybe on a on an even keel with Corduara or, or if he he beat him he could have uh, he could have done something quite special this year but as it turned out it was the the beginning of the end of his um his championship challenge
3: I mean, Rins was quite coy about the reason for his struggles. I think it was in Austria when he first started talking about the the struggle with the front end of the Suzuki and getting feel, getting stability and feedback. Uh, you know, since then, he hasn't really been very, well, in the debriefs I've heard anyway, very, you know, explanatory about the reasons why he's been struggling. But wasn't Portimao also the scene where um, Jorge Martin crashed in practice as well? That was another big, uh, you know, incident from the Grand Prix earlier this year.
1: Yeah, it was an action-packed weekend all the way, and uh, we've got a lot to get through on today's show, but we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to look at some of the big talking points ahead of the weekend in Portimao.
0: Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more.
1: Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthall Street and Fly Racing. And this weekend in Mao, obviously, Adam, we've got two championships still to be decided and uh, both of them could be decided this weekend, obviously in Moto2 and Moto3. But when you look at this weekend, which is the battle that you're really looking forward to in those classes?
3: It's tough to say, Steve, because Dennis Foggia really put himself in a position to to launch, you know, a real last kind of gasp attack for the Moto Three crown on Pedro Acosta. But, you know, that sensational crash by Ralph Fernandez in Moto Two, giving you know Remy Gardner the upper hand. I mean, that really swung the championship from one way to the other in the in the space of half an hour. You know, one race. I think for Moto Two, I'm curious to see how Fernandez, who of course goes so well at Portimao, I think he took his first Moto Three victory there uh, last year. Uh, how he's going to handle again, you know, being the pursuer, you know, in the title chase against his teammate uh, and Remy Gardner as well. What kind of approach does he take now? He had to go a little bit all out attacking Misano. It didn't seem to be faring particularly well for the Aussie. Um, I just, what kind of tactics to see employ, you know, with such a slender points lead.
1: Yeah, Neil it's been really interesting this season because in terms of the battle between the IOKTM riders, we've seen it where it's 7-4 to Raul in terms of race wins, but Remy with that extra podium, that's the difference between them. 18 points now heading into this round in Portimao and Remy was fantastic here last year, but like Adam said, this is also where we saw Raul make his step on a Moto3 bike to get his first win.
4: Yeah, I think we're in for uh, two really really brilliant races um, in Portimao uh, this year. I mean, we saw stunning climaxes to the end of both of the, the championships last year, Model 2 and 3 with two really, really interesting, intense races. Um, and I think we're, we're going to see the same because as you sort of touched on, Steve and Adam touched on as well, you know, Rall has a great record here, but Remy was very, very strong um, last year. Um, I think he felt that he had the pace to be fighting for the victory in uh, this, the race earlier this season, but um had a bit of issue with uh, some of the the heat. I think Moto2 was the, the final race of the day. The last time we went to Portimao and it was uh, extremely hot. Um, so that should be interesting. It should be interesting to see just how both guys approach the weekend. I'm pretty sure Raoul's just going to go hell for leather. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Remy tries to live with him or is just happy to to kind of sit in behind. Um, and then, you know, Moto3 is kind of deliciously poised as well because the last time we went there, I mean Pedro Acosta passed Dennis Foggia for the victory. I think four or five corners from the the, the the checkered flag. So we know that both of those guys like this track and go particularly well there. Obviously the dimensions and the the, the um, their respective momentum is completely different to what it was earlier this season um, when we when we first visited Portugal in, in April. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be it's going to be fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think that move from Acosta and Foggia was one of the best moves of the season as well because it was one of those opportunities that you don't tend to see a lot of moves since there. was up into that uphill left-hander at the end of the lap and it he made it at the perfect time. Couldn't... Uh, couldn't attack back for Dennis Foggi at that stage but Dave just when you look at the Moto2 battle obviously Royal Fernandez unbeaten in Portimao Remy was really good there last year but this weekend you'd expect to see a few wild cards in the mix as well obviously we're just after seeing a Mark VDS 1-2 and Mizano so you'd expect to see Lowe's and Fernandez right up there they they weren't they weren't up there in uh, Portimao 1 Lowe's obviously had a big crash at turn 1 and then Fernandez was in 5th spot and he, that was one of those weekends where he was throwing the kitchen sink at the bike so you'd expect those two to be there. Cannot went well there in earlier in the season, Bazaki Joe Roberts. So we could easily have a situation where, you know, Remy, he might have 18 points in hand, but he could easily give up a lot of points as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, for both uh, Remy and for uh, Pedro Acosta, what they have to do is really simple. They just have to make sure that they uh, finish as close as possible to... Uh, the to uh, you know either Fernandez and Foggia and it's the same for Foggia and Fernandez they what they have to do is really really simple they have to win the the last two races um, so it then it then becomes it puts a little bit more of the uh, of the onus on uh, uh, on Pedro Acosta and on uh, Remy Gardner uh, they have to work more they have to think more about where they where they need to do and what the points deficit is um, but yeah, it, it could be it could be quite interesting. With um, you know, Aaron Kinnett does come through like he did last time. Uh, if Joe Roberts can find himself again, because I, I, you know, I think Joe Roberts is actually living quite close to the track now, uh, to to the Portmell track, so he knows that track a little bit better. That might give him an, uh, give him an advantage. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's not a as much as a foregone conclusion as you might think.
1: Yeah, Neil, obviously we also saw in Mao that Cameron Boubier might have finished, I think, with ninth or 10th in that race and quite a bit behind, but we saw he actually came quite strong at the end of the race as well. So this could be a weekend where he makes another step forward. Obviously, Coda was the big step for him over the course of this year.
4: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's a few, um, few interesting names that you could uh, you could maybe foresee being up there. I think um, yeah, Bobier could be one that is maybe around the top top six, top seven. Um, you know, Joe Roberts he cracked his collarbone I think last time out in uh, Misano, so couldn't race there. So he's going to be riding injured if he does even ride. So that's going to be a big ask for him. But just looking at the forecast this weekend, I mean, um, I think we're we're expecting fully sunny, dry conditions right the way through uh, twenty highs of 20 or 19 degrees on each day. So it does seem that the weather is going to be pretty consistent and that hasn't necessarily been the case in some of the, the race weekends that we've had uh, recently, obviously in uh, Emilia-Romagna and then also back in, in, even in Portimao when we came here earlier this year. So um, I think that should, that should hopefully um, for the Championship challengers uh, take away any possibilities of um, freak conditions or, or weather conditions uh, disrupting their, you know, their weekend or their performances.
2: Yeah, uh, the, the thing about Portimão specifically for the Moto2 class is that for most of the riders, um, everyone has more or less the same experience there. So Cambobie um, has almost as much experience there as, as anyone else. It's a bit different in Moto three because obviously the uh, CEV, the FIM CEV Junior Moto three World Championship or whatever it's called um, goes there. Uh, so there's a lot of riders who who came through that chimp- championship who have some experience there. Um, that's much less the case in in Moto two. So I think that that levels the playing field a little bit. It makes it uh, makes it that much more interesting.
1: Obviously, enough Adam. One of the other talking points that we always get on a weekend like this in Port Mau is that moto gp will actually be out before the moto 2 race as well so obviously this is a bit more related to the premier class but it does change the dynamics a little bit for everyone over the course of the weekend
3: yeah just in certain in terms of timing steve possibly in terms of grip uh, it depends how much Portimao has been used or we say Portimao, the algarve international circuit the poxy r- roller coaster has been used you know um for track days and whatever kind of action coming up i mean it's and like Neil said, the, the weather forecast seems to be pretty stable. So that's something that's reassuring. I mean, we essentially threw away two days of action on Friday and Saturday at Misano. Um, on that note, actually, I'm glad that, you know, this is the last, potentially the last Grand Prix we're going to have at repeat venues. I mean, it's, it's at least um, MotoGP was able to separate you know, the Grand Prix, again, as Neil mentioned, the temperatures were much higher for the round earlier in the year. Uh, so you might have a different scenario in terms of the climate this weekend. But, um, you know, the, the the races that are so close in proximity, like Misano, are kind of soul destroying in a way because it does feel, um, you know, there's this less kind of diversity in the challenge of MotoGP, if that makes sense. Um, you know, it's a case of been there, seen it, done it.
1: Yeah, I always kind of think as well, like we missed opportunities with back-to-back races last year or going to the same track twice this year where there's some of those places that you've got slightly different layouts as well. I think it would have been quite cool to have it where you used, you know, a chicane that's on one track compared to the other or, you know, a different hairpin. Like Portimao obviously has the longer run down in towards turn five.
3: Well, as we mentioned earlier on, Portimao is is one of the places where we haven't been to that much. Um, So you do have uh, the novelty factor. Uh, you know, there is no decisive form. You, you don't have a Marquez uh, Saxon ring or a Marquez uh, Cotter kind of, you know, prestige or pra- track record at the place. So there's that going for it. Um, and of course, you know, the, the the challenge from the circuit, and I'm sure I've said it before on a podcast, but it's the only circuit I've ridden around actually at a half decent speed. Um, you didn't call
1: it the poxy roller coaster then, by the way, Ad. No, <laughs> but I also didn't
3: know a stupid brace over my shoulder and i didn't stand in a queue and i didn't want to vomit so uh you know nothing like a roller coaster but uh you know obviously from a technical point of view it's it's uh, you know the riders a lot of riders love it rightly so because it is a, a real daunting mix of um, corners and challenges and blind spots
4: the other uh, guys that were on the track with you that day adam uh, didn't told me something different that you uh, you did want to vomit actually after your first run <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, I was screaming like a girl, you know,
1: when we went uh, down into turn one. So does that count? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously enough for uh, Portimao, we always have have the the challenge as well of trying to make overtaking moves around that track because there's a lot of places where you can make a move but you need to force moves that's where one corner leads into the next and if you're a little bit offline that's what creates the opportunities and i think this is where especially in the in the moto gp class this is where that little bit of experience around this place makes a big difference because like you said there's a lot of blind corners there's a lot of places where your sight lines are compromised and you need to just trust where you're going
3: yeah, Steve, I think one of the questions we had for some of the riders in the debriefs last time out was whether Portimao was actually a great track for riding, but not such a fantastic track for racing. You know, you do have, again, like I was mentioned earlier, the diversity of, of the challenge. I mean, from like the Torre Bip left-handed chicane right through to the faster corners like Craig Jones, the blind turns, uh, 10 and 11 Portimao, and then that fantastic last turn, turn 15. Uh, you know, where I think Pedro Acosta was stunning in the way he was handling the motorcycle earlier on this year. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a technical track. Um, it requires a lot of, um, uh, piecing together of, of lines and setup, uh, a great deal of thought. But in terms of racing, I mean, from your experience in, in commentating on Superbike and on all the, all the sprint races, whatever, you know, different kind of events you've seen there, has, has it been a kind of a slog really to get much overtaken in action done?
1: Well, it's been strange in superbikes, actually, because we've obviously tended to have Jonathan Ray running away at the front of the field in Portimao. He was pretty much unbeatable there up until this year. But we've had some pretty decent races and good battles a little bit behind him. It is tricky to make moves. That's probably why you end up having some tense races in Portimao as well but I think it is one of those situations where if you've got everyone really closely matched you know the limit's the limit and there's a lot of places in Portimao where you've got downhill entries into corners you're a little bit off camber we used to have it obviously where you change across into different asphalt patches as well. So that was a big challenge. I think typically what we've seen is it's mistakes that generate the overtaking moves in Port So you look through turn one if you're a little bit offline that opens the door into three or four. And then turn five is just send it down the inside. Obviously loris Baz did that in race two this year in superbikes and took out Alvaro Bautista. So there's a few places where you need to be very combative around here and that's what makes Portamo A little bit different to some other tracks that we go into in superbikes and definitely the same in MotoGP as well. It's where the last corner is the most important corner in the track around here. If you're fast through that last corner, you're able to use the toe, get a move done into turn one. Other than that, you might have to wait another lap to make that move. Yeah,
3: we saw a fantastic fight for the podium in the first edition last year between Jack Miller and Franco Morbidelli, but the victories have been pretty clear cut. Uh, like we said, Miguel Oliveira was was very dominant. And then I think Fabio Quartararo won by almost five seconds. So we've yet to see a, a real classic at Portimao. Hopefully that changes this weekend. I think the thing about this track is
2: uh, it really rewards being absolutely inch perfect. Um, and if there's one or two riders who can do that, then they, they immediately get a huge amount of, uh, you know, like, like a huge gain. There's very few places where you can actually, you know, make ground up again. So if you lose it, then it's uh, the, you, m- not quite game over, but it, it becomes very, it becomes much, much more difficult.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's the the big challenge in Portimao, and it's going to be one of the big talking points all the way through the weekend, especially when the weather comes into account. Like as Neil said earlier on, the weather should be good this weekend, but if you get any wind in Portimao, there's an awful lot of places that are very high. Like if you go up to the top end of the circuit, up towards I think it's turns twelve, thirteen, when you're up at the top of the hill, that's really quite a distance above the paddock as well so if you get the wind up there it can really wreak havoc for a lot of riders so it's a big challenge all the way around port de Mau. just uh use use your seven iron steve that's all drive oh, into the no, wind just 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 go driver just go driver It'll be fine <laughs> always hit it hard hope for the best We will be grand we're going to take another break on the paddock pass podcast and when we come back we're going to look at uh, some of the other news ahead of the algarve grand prix
0: Renthal Street ultralight rear sprockets are CNC machine from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on renthal.com to find the correct fitment
1: for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass Podcast, presented by Fly Racing and Renthall Street. And uh, remarkably, we've timed the recording of this podcast to absolute uh, perfection for us. I don't think perfection's the word Mark Marquez would use to describe it. He's just been ruled out of the Algarve Grand Prix after an off-road training crash. And uh, Neil, obviously, this has a massive impact on the weekend.
4: I would say so, Steve. Yeah, Mark, the winner of the past two races. Um, I think the the the, the victory in the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix was a bit of a warning for the rest of the guys out there. His first win on a clockwise track since the end of 2019. Um, and, I mean, when you look back at that race, he, yes, he was fortunate uh, to, have, uh, to have won it because Bagnara crashed up, But he was really impressive um, considering he was, he was so far away from the leaders in the, uh, the first Mizana running. And, uh, yeah, it seems that he's had a, a fall doing some standard off-road training according to uh, the Honda press release. Caused a slight head concussion. And even though he rested for a couple of days at home, it says that, uh, yeah, he's still feeling slightly unwell. Um, He was assessed by doctors and they just said, you know what, precautionary measure, uh, you're going to have to sit this one out. So I guess the fact that he's not really fighting for anything that important, um, I know he could obviously have improved his championship position, but essentially I think the best he can hope for is fourth. Um, So, you know, for Marc Marquez, I don't think that counts is super important. So, um, yeah, he's been through enough in the last 18 months. So best probably not to take a risk.
3: I mean, we're a week and a half away, but I wouldn't mind Ben, he'll be out for Valencia as well. Because if you're in the kind of state where you're unable to consider at least attempting the Grand Prix... I mean, these things have a tendency not to, to vanish overnight. Um, just the, I was in the, the paddock uh, covering the last two MX Grand Prix, uh, Grand Prix's, um, the MHDP of Pietro Morata, where the, the race was being held, and the MHDP of Garda. So just uh, one of the regions where, you know, the triple header was. And uh, I spoke to several riders about the effects of concussions because motocross is one of those bizarre uh, but brutal sports where, you know, they can fall off a motorcycle from 30 foot um and incur large physical damage but then also crash at walking speed going through a rut just tap the head and then they got another another form of concussion so it's it's um it can be you know very difficult to deal with riders um almost have to accept the point the fact that they're going to break bones in that sport as well as take a bang to the head and it was uh, interesting hearing just some of the anecdotes and some of the um you know some of the tales of sustaining concussion how they deal with it um, I mean, there was some real scary stories of basically riders trying to ride one or two laps, not being able to, their senses, not being able to keep up with the speed they were setting on the racetrack, um, having difficulty focusing and then, you know, more standard kind of symptoms like nausea, uh, difficulty in training, difficulty in concentration. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting story. I think when the article comes together, I'm going to try and speak to a, you know, maybe a neurologist or something and just try and get more insight into it because helmets are progressing in terms of the safety capacities they offer, uh, with good reason, you know, I mean, concussion is one of those, uh, hot topics at the moment, isn't it? With sports injuries. And, um, you know, the the fact that Mark has got this, it's, uh, you know, and I like the way the Honda phrase it as a standard off-road training. So in other words, he was riding motocross. But, um, you know, you're not allowed to say uh, the M word because uh, it has a bit of a stigma attached to it now in MotoGP.
2: But might it not also be um, flat track? Because um, he rides really, really hard when they race, um, uh, you know, w- w- when they ride flat track. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was sort of went in for something and fell down and smacked his head. But also the... Um, this concussion—the fact that he was, that he said, you know, he wasn't feeling well for the, for for a couple of days—suggests that it's not a slight concussion, but it's actually quite a severe one. That, that, that it's it's pretty bad. It, funnily enough, we were just chatting about before the podcast. We were discussing sort of uh, concussions and stuff, and um, I remember also the uh, Dutch one-two-five and Moto three racer Jasper Evomar, a concussion basic or coming back early from a concussion, basically ended his. Um, his Grand Prix career because uh, he had a massive, massive crash at Kota. Uh, and uh, I think he, he might have missed one, uh, might have won w- one race, um, but tried to come back too early. And I spoke to him much later. And he said, "Yeah, I came, I came back too early. He was still suffering symptoms. Um, he was still, you know, f- feeling quite ill from uh, from time to time. Couldn't was really having a problem focusing and concentrating. Uh, so." It's also a sign that um, Mark Marquez is totally focused on next year and not this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did miss Valencia as well for exactly that reason. There's no point in trying to risk it.
3: I haven't seen the the, pre- the, the press release, but it doesn't mention. I mean, will Stefan Bradl step into into ride because he's he's obviously got much a lot of experience testing as well around uh The Algarve International Circuit.
1: Yeah, that was actually going to be one of the questions I was going to ask. It's not mentioned in the press release, so maybe not for this weekend, David, but certainly for Valencia, there's a lot of value to having Bradle on the bike.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, well, first of all, um, they may not have to replace Marquez at, um, at Portimao, although it's quite early. Uh, so you might expect them to actually put, uh, put Bradle on the bike. Um, also there's the test in Jerez after Valencia, um, at, on the Thursday and Friday after Valencia. So they were going to need someone to be up to speed. So it would be a very good idea to have Bradle on the bike there.
1: Yeah, because obviously enough, when you look at this season, we had a good example of it actually when Cal Crutchlow stepped onto the Yamaha because one of the the big reasons for that had to be in his mind, I don't want to be off the bike for a long time before I go to those tests at the end of the year. Bradle, obviously, this would be a real opportunity. Get yourself fully up to speed and then be of real value for those couple of tests, Neil.
4: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Bradle had, uh, I think, his best race of last season at uh, Portimao, finished seventh. Um, but um, yeah, it's obviously uh, imperative that um, well, him and both Paulo Spagro and Mark are in are in decent shape for uh, the final test at Reth because as we saw at Misano um, back in September, I think it was the test there. You know, Honda are developing something which is pretty radically different um, from what they currently have for 2022. So uh, yeah, any early input. Uh, that can be gathered. Um, well, obviously at Mizano they they did that, but uh, then at Jerez, I mean, it's going to be pretty vital for the uh, for the, how that bike shapes up when we get to Sepang at the start next year.
1: David, obviously, enough, the Marquez' news, it changes everything about this weekend. This had actually been one of the things you wanted to talk about: was that we had finally seen the return of Mark at the last round of Misano. He was talking about how the fact that he felt like himself on the bike again for the first time, and then this happens.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, I I was really looking forward to seeing what he could do at Portimao because obviously uh, earlier this year it was his first race back. It was his first riot time racing around Portimao, even though he's actually. Ridden a motor two bike around there uh, and i think also a, uh, a, a a super bike um so it would have been interesting to see what he could have uh, what he could have done and especially coming off of that win and there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of left-hand corners and a lot of right-hand corners. It's a decent mix. It's quite a physical track, um, but there's also places where you can actually rest a little bit. So it would have been very interesting to see what Mar- Marquez could have done. In the situation, and it's a real shame that he's not going to—he's not going to be there. I think it makes everyone else's job a little bit um, easier, perhaps, because it it eliminates this sort of wildcard card factor. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an odd one.
3: Yeah, for me, it's uh, you know, there's been quite a few standout moments of this season in MotoGP. I mean, everything from Fabio Quartararo's leathers to Brad Binder's. Uh, you know, kind of shocking win in the rain in Austria, but um for me, seeing the emotion of of Mark returning in, in you know Portimao earlier this year, that was also something pretty special because you cannot deny you know well particularly in, in the next two weeks when we sort of wave goodbye to you know a part of the furniture in MotoGP in, in in Valentino Rossi, you can't deny Mark's place, uh, his impact and the influence he's had on the world championship. Um, so to see that earlier in the year was, was really nice. And it, like Dave said, it would have been fascinating to see how much faster, how much fitter, um, how much better he would have been to attack uh, the circuit. So it's a shame he's not going to be there.
1: Obviously, enough, with Mark not being there, it's going to change the last thing we're going to talk about in today's podcast: our predictions for this weekend. David, obviously, you were quite uh, quite keen to put Mark down on your on your bet sheet, so uh, it's probably your fault that he's had this injury. Uh, well, obviously,
2: yeah. I mean, you know, if I um, if if there are any riders who need a win, then I'm uh, uh, prepared to accept cash to predict that someone else will win for them, um, <laughs> because so far my uh, my my strike rate is pretty good. Um, I honestly I honestly find it quite difficult. I mean it, just going on the form, you would have to say that Fabio Quartararo should be there. But like I say, for me the, the, the interest is what happens now that he's champion. Does he relax or does he make that even you know more more fierce, more more uh, focused just to try and min win as many races as possible?
1: Well, I think for me, what's going to be interesting to see is just how it differs to last time we were in Portimao. Like obviously, Neil said earlier on, it was Fabio's pace at the front that caused a lot of the mistakes from other riders, Alex Rins in those closing stages and a few other guys. And I'm quite keen to see what happens this week in terms of how it's different. And I'm I'm really excited to see what Pekka Bagnaia does. Obviously, he's on his run of pole positions. He's in great form at the minute. I I think I'd be I'd be happy enough to to bet on Peko this weekend. Ducati's gone well in Portimao the two previous times we've gone there. Peko finished second in April and Jack Miller finished second last year. So I think I'll I'll go with Peko as my prediction for the weekend.
3: Did Dave actually yeah, make a prediction or did he just say, I'm not going to predict?
2: <laughs> I, well, I mean, I did sort of predict that Fabio might win, but um, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm also very interested to see what the KTMs can do because, you know,
1: the KTMs should be fast around here. Yeah, they were pretty fast there last year. But uh, Adam, what about you? What's your prediction?
3: Well, now that uh, Fabio's not going to win, um, I'm going <laughs> to put my I'm going to put my bet on uh, Miguel Oliveira. Uh, just you know, like I said, he's going to come back from uh, hero to zero to hero again. And uh, just a quick question for Neil, actually, the last round I can't remember in Portimao. Early, what was the? There was a limited crowd attendance. Was it something like twenty, thirty thousand, or was it?
4: I don't, I don't think there was anyone at. Um, oh, there was, was no, there? T- no public. I don't think so. Um, okay. No, I th- I'm pretty sure at the start of the year we didn't have anything. Um, should I should I just check that quickly? I so, don't think there was. Okay, I so
1: think there was fans for F1, but maybe not for MotoGP. Yeah,
2: yeah I, right. I, I think the first fans uh, we not, had was it, like it Le Mans
1: in May. Two, no fans will attend the Formula One race. There were twenty-seven thousand there last year. I think is what this is saying.
3: Okay, so, you know, you're looking at a a point where Oliveira is actually going to have some home advantage. Um, I believe the gates are going to be swung open um, to the the circuit this weekend. Um, As you know, we're hearing from Valencia as well, by all accounts, it's going to be a a full house. Uh, Like we mentioned, Valentino Rossi's last race. It's a shame that Marquez potentially might not be part of the cast list for that. But, uh, you know, if all the Portuguese fans are there and we know they're pretty crazy and uh, Oliveira is going to be a focal point for them, um, home field advantage, I think he's uh, he'll, he'll be the man.
1: Obviously enough, Adam, seven points in the last seven races for Miguel, so it would be proper zero to hero stuff.
3: Yeah, but like Dave said, Steve, I mean, he's, he, he put it together in Misano. I mean, after starting abysmally in uh, Misano won, um, he managed to work his way back to the point where it was competitive for a podium shout. So perhaps victory is, uh, you know, and the kind of speed and form he's shown at the end of 2020 is uh, too, too far away, but you know, why not?
1: What about you, Neil? What's your prediction? Uh,
4: well, I mean, you gentlemen, the problem with going fourth in this game is that uh, <laughs> the, the three most likely guys. It's okay, uh, you can agree with me, up. Neil.
1: I, I will allow you to agree with me.
4: I was going to pick uh, Banya, Steve, because I think it's a good shot. Um, he was going to be on the fourth oh, grid, wasn't he?
1: We're back now, aren't we? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, if two of us are going for him, Peco, I'm sorry uh, in advance that we've uh, screwed up your weekend. But yeah, he was, uh, I think he was on course for a, a front row. Um, then Miguel Oliveira crashed in front of him in qualifying. The yellow flags came out and he lost his lap and then had to start from way back, um, which hampered him in a big way. So I think the. Um, Considering his form and considering his uh, previous performance at the track, I think he'll be uh, a strong guy. Uh, although you know, John Mira was on the podium. um Muir has just sort of um, fallen away of late, and it uh, seems lost his way just a little bit. Um, be quite interested to see what he can do. Can he get back up onto the podium? And also as a bit of an outside shot, I think Paul Aspargrove could uh, be quite handy um, at, uh, at Portimao because at the end of last year, we saw all the Hondas go pretty well. I mentioned Stefan Bradle. He was up there in seventh, I think. Um, we know that Paul goes well when um, he's at a track which is, is um, pretty high grip. And uh, Portimao was... Um, I mean it was resurfaced last year, I think, prior to the prior to the, the first MotoGP G P race there. And we have relatively low uh temperatures. Um so maybe it could be a place where Honda riders could do okay. And I think, you know, Paul's coming here in decent form also. So maybe Paul could be an outside shot for top three. Yeah, I'll say top three.
3: No, I mean it's a very articulate and succinct round up there and you've done your best commentator's impression of not throwing the shoe at anybody in terms of uh you know damning them in terms of their results but when you mentioned the Ducatis um I I also wanted to add that I think I predicted Jack Miller would win a race uh, ever since Silverstone and it obviously hasn't happened to him for one reason or another (laughs) Michelin (laughs) so uh you know in this in this regard I'm going to completely ignore the Ducatis and another reason why I'm back in the KTMs.
1: Okay, so this is the weekend to bank big on Jack Miller if Adam hasn't actually gone for it. Yeah, just well, one Prillia other...
3: could win, Steve. I mean, no, that was that'll, that'll probably happen. Alesh would take his first race win.
1: I'll be honest, I'll keep my money in my pocket about an Alesh win. But uh, just as a, another round of the predictions, just about the Moto2 and Moto3 title fights, are we going to see them decided this weekend? Neil, I'll come to you first this time. Uh,
4: no, I don't think so, Steve. No, I think uh, Fernandez is probably going to win, and I think uh, fogg is probably going to win as well. So I think it will go to Valencia for both championships.
1: What about you, Ed?
3: Uh, I agree with Neil, but I think you know uh, there's 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 going there's more to be done on the Motor Two front. Uh, I want to see how Remy Gardner sets up the weekend from FP one, and but I I hope I've said it all through the year. I do. I hope the Australian wins it. I think he just deserves it more in terms of uh, his career, career trajectory and you know what he's brought to the to the Moto2 contest
1: the people's champion as i think you called him numerous times through this season i i never
3: uttered that phrase in my life
1: <laughs> Dave, what about you are we going to see the titles decided this week uh, no
2: no i don't think so um, but then i said that about the moto gp title of misano as well uh, i i mean it I think, yes, Fernandez and Foggia look like winning. Uh, I think the Motor 2 uh, title is really going to be decided in Valencia, and I think it could go either way. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I would like to see Remy Gardner win, but you can't argue with seven wins to four. Uh, in terms of who deserves it, um, I also th- I, I think Moto three is going to be much more difficult for Dennis Foggia and it makes you wonder what would have happened if they'd have kicked Foggia out of the at uh, or Foggia's dad out of the garage sort of much earlier in the year. Um, but I I think that one is also going to be decided in um, in Valencia,
3: but it's not going to be anywhere near as close.
1: It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the course this weekend in both of those classes and obviously in the MotoGP class as well.
3: No, no, Steve, I was just wanting to add, um, you know, we're recording the previous show before Portimao, but um, if there's anybody, you know, half interested in close motorcycle racing, then is winding up to a conclusion on Sunday and Wednesday. And there's only three points split in the top three riders, Red Bull KTM's Jeffrey Hurlings, Monster Energy, Kawasaki's Roman Febbra and Team HRC's uh, Tim Geiger. Um, we've had been to 11 different countries. We've had 32 motos. Um, there's been 800 points these guys could possibly win so far, and they're divided by three. Um, I mean, I've only seen one championship like it in 20 years of covering the sport. So if there's any chance of... You know, anyone catching this action in Eurosport or anywhere else, then then watch it. I, I thoroughly recommend it because now it's getting to the point where uh, team orders, maybe some little cheeky um, tactics and racecraft are going to come into the mix, and it's going to be dramatic stuff. So, there's uh, there's championships to be won, Steve.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's actually I've watched a little bit of the MXGP through the course of this year, and it's been just fantastic all the way through. And Adam, obviously enough, it's the championship that's closest for you, but. Uh, it's it is a season on like anything we've seen and to have three riders all fighting it out like this it's been fantastic
3: yeah it's just that and again you know what made me think of it was dave mentioning the seven wins to four in motor 2 and um tony cairoli who like valentino rossi's going to be you know celebrating his last grand prix appearance um on wednesday mantova uh you know his mantra of of uh, of the, the the method behind his nine world championships effectively has been finishing on the podium you know a, a, a podium every weekend means you're right there at the end of the season um and he's just repeated that over and over throughout his career and that's i think what's remy remy garden has been doing this year i mean raul's been more spectacular and you know he has banked those 25 points but um he's also dropped it as you would expect a rookie to do in motor two so, uh, you know, I think it's, you, you've got to appreciate the guy that, you know, really takes all the different conditions and the challenges ahead of him and, and you know, still to, manages to excel in every one of those.
1: Yeah, the experience can make all the difference in any of those championship battles it makes all the difference as well for the kind of content that we produce as well so check out patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast on that for ten dollars a month you can sign up to be a paddock insider and that's where at the end of every day of a grand prix weekend david adam neil and myself get together on a zoom call after the debriefs and we chat about what we've seen during the course of the weekend but most importantly what we've been told by the riders and the teams about what's happened so some of the big talking points so check out that on patreon.com you can also sign up at the three dollar a month tier that's where you get the Paddock Pass podcast extra show where we try and put out some additional content each month. So currently up on that tier, we've got interviews with Kevin Schwantz and Lynn Jarvis, and we'll try and make sure we get plenty of extra content for over the course of the winter on that as well so check out patreon.com forward slash paddockpass podcast other than that big thank you to all everyone for listening to today's show and for our sponsors fly racing and rentall street for supporting the podcast it does make a big difference to us for being able to put out a lot of additional content throughout the course of the season so we'll leave it for our Portimao preview but obviously we'll be back next week with a Portimao review for the moto gp class we'll also have a moto 2 and moto 3 review show as well
0: this episode of the Paddock
1: Pass Podcast
0: was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. I think
3: I've already touched on mine. Um... Um,
4: yes I think I might have already touched a minus well
2: (laughs) (laughs) can can you tell us later in the season Steve Steve, we'll um, we'll go with Dave